Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder, treason, and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Welcome to Now Playing's DC Comics Hitmen Retrospective Series. There are only murderers in this room. Continuing our look at movies based on DC Comics characters, Arnie, Stuart, and Jacob will be reviewing the film adaptations of Road to Perdition. This is the life we chose, the life we lead. And there is only one guarantee. None of us will see heaven. A history of violence. You got anything to say before I blow your brains out, you miserable prick? V for Vendetta. Are you like a crazy person? I'm quite sure they will say so. The Losers. I am a lethal killing machine. It was a secret government experiment. It did stuff to me. Spooky stuff. Red and Red 2. Eh, they don't make them like that anymore. These podcasts will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Because it's all so fucking hysterical. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, Billy. Let's show this asshole we mean business. Today, we're talking about Red, starring Bruce Willis, Mary Louise Parker, Morgan Freeman, John Malkovich, Helen Mirren, Carl Urban, and directed by Robert Swenke. I'm Arnie, your not-retired-but-still-extremely-dangerous co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A.? This is Jacob, and I'm going to kill the vice president. Quoting the movie, I hope I didn't break a federal law there. Yeah, this is kind of a bold statement to make that this movie does, but they do a lot of things that you wouldn't expect from old people. Yes, old people. Artie, you said that cast was too young for you last week. Is this one more up to your speed? Or down to your speed, I guess? Sadly, it kind of sounded like it on paper. Morgan Freeman loved him in Deep Impact and Shawshank and Driving Miss Daisy and Bruce Willis. How many films have I loved him in? None recently, but a lot. John Malkovich, Dangerous Liaisons rocks, and he is so awesome in Con Air, I can't believe it. So... On paper, yeah, this is my cast. These are my go-tos. This is why I wanted to see Red. This was a movie I was really excited for when it came out. It's written by Warren Ellis. History of Violence, The Losers, V for Vendetta. Here is another Brit with his entry into the DC Hitman. But one of my favorite comic book writers, because of this film, he actually came to Comic-Con. I attended all these red panels just to see him and hear him talk. But this is one I was excited for. It's a very short comic, three-issue little miniseries. They do quite a bit of expansion and go off on their own in this. But a nice little story about, kind of like the losers, what does a superpower do in peacetime? When you are the superpower, when you don't have communism to fight, we don't have to do all those awful secret missions. How do we react to what we had to do in the past during the Cold War? Jacob, was the comic a hit? Did it sell well? Was there a reason why they said this must be a movie from its sales? I I doubt it was very much a hit. It was on another DC imprint called Wildstorm. Again, three issues. Warren Ellis, he's a big writer. He's got name recognition. He's got a big cult following, but doesn't sell a ton of comics unless he's writing something mainstream for DC or Marvel. But again, I think they were just digging down into their properties here and seeing what they could turn into a film. Actually, it's a little different. Warner Brothers didn't want to make this movie. Warner Brothers didn't make this movie. Jacob, do you know who Gregory Novak is? Sounds familiar. He works at DC, he's one of their reps, and he was the one pushing for this to be made into a movie, and Warner's like, no, we are not turning this into a movie. And so, they have apparently this little used clause that if everybody in every division, including television, at Warner Brothers goes, we don't want it, you can shop it to other studios. So that's what happened. Everybody at Warner's had to look at Red and go, nah, that's shit, (laughs) and get rid of it so that this film could end up being made by Summit Entertainment. Well, someone paid good money for it. I remember Warren Ellis, someone asked him on a panel at Comic-Con, hey, do you mind that they've taken this comic in a different direction? He's like, no, I bought my daughter a pony with the money they paid me. Maybe ponies are cheaper over there. (laughs) They do use them for Big Macs. Keep in mind, this may not be the Avengers here. We may not be getting superheroes or your traditional comics, but this is a successful genre in and of itself. The old fogies kick your ass genre. 
Clint Eastwood, throughout his entire career, always been a forceful action star and has never looked old and feeble, even in his 80s. He's just still got it. And I think that that is inspired. As the 80s action heroes got older, they've tried to emulate that. And we've had a lot of movies, Expendables, same year, where we try to see our old action stars do what they do in their golden years. I'm sorry. I agree with everything you said, Stuart, but let me put it a different way. There has been no American generation with more money than the baby boomers. And as the baby boomers find themselves reaching retirement age and realizing they can't rock quite as hard as they used to at Woodstock, they want to feel better about themselves, and Hollywood is here to do nothing but give us a product we want to consume. Who has the money? The boomers. So let's make movies that tell baby boomers, hey, even though you're starting to die just like World War II vets, you're still relevant. Well, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to go that cynical, Arnie, but I think there is something. What I wish the losers would have done, I, I see a lot of comparisons here. Do that parody with the old wash-up action stars. The Expendables, that just went for another action movie. I don't feel they ever played up the old person thing, but yeah, play that up. I'm game for that kind of movie. And you don't come much more washed up than Bruce Willis by this point. It's worth pointing out, yes, we have done three now. Three different series of Mr. Willis's this year now playing, but... But 2010, ooh, what a dry spell. It had been several years even since that fourth Die Hard film. I think he had made surrogates and not a whole lot else. He was done, done, done. It really did feel much like his character here, like he was probably home thinking about the past. I think his last big hit by this point that he could truly be credited with, not something he was just in, was probably The Sixth Sense, and that was over a decade earlier. At this point, the last thing I would have seen him in was Live Free or Die Hard. This Red came out the same year as Cop Out, which is terrible. It stunk up my home theater. So, yeah, he was at a very, very bad space. And playing this older role, he kind of played older in Live Free or Die Hard. And now here he is kind of embracing that age. Yeah, I, I think it was necessary. It's always necessary for any star at a certain point to recognize when they can't do what they used to or how they can do it again in a different way. And I think it was that moment. Bruce Willis, for much of that first 2000s, was still, yeah, doing sex thrillers with Halle Berry and action movies that nobody went to see and just trying to be the Bruce Willis of the 90s. This was maybe the first movie of his career where he said, this is how old I am and I'm still going to show you I've got my stuff. And we'll See if he does. Arnie, how about that plot? Frank Moses, played by Bruce Willis, is a bored retiree with nothing in his life except this girl named Sarah who works at the pension office. Frank calls her regularly, faking that his pension checks have been lost just as an excuse to chat. He's used to more excitement as he's a former CIA agent, now designated retired, extremely dangerous, or red. But that boredom goes away when a group of hitmen raid his house. Frank kills them all, but realizes his phone lines must be tapped, so he races to Kansas City to get to Sarah before the hit squad does. Sarah thinks he's psychotic, so he has to kidnap the brunette as the hitmen come, led by CIA agent William Cooper, played by Carl Urban. Frank relies on all his old contacts, and I do mean old, like customers at an MCL buffet at 4.30, to find out what's going on. This AARP team is made up of terminally ill Joe Matherson, Morgan Freeman, paranoid unstable black ops agent Marvin Boggs, John Malkovich, Russian secret agent Ivan Simonov, Brian Cox, and female agent Victoria, Helen Mirren. They assemble one by one as Frank investigates these hitmen that are also killed a New York Times reporter, and eventually finds out that these guys are killing everyone who was on a CIA mission in Guatemala in 1981, a mission that both Frank and Marvin participated in. They trace this back to Alexander Dunning, an illegal arms dealer. It turns out the mission to Guatemala was to cover up the massacre of a Guatemalan village by a Lieutenant Stanton, who's now Vice President Stanton, and on the payroll of Dunning. Stanton is about to run for president, who would become a puppet regime to get Dunning more profits, but the New York reporter found out about Stanton's killing spree in Guatemala, so Dunning ordered these hits to tie up all the loose ends and ensure his boy is the next president. Lots of 
of guns are fired, shit blows up, and Sarah and Frank seem to fall for each other, and Ivan and Victoria rekindle their decades-old romance as they foil Dunning's plot, eventually killing the arms dealer. But I guess our old-timers have gone from Red to just Ed, as the credits show Frank and Marvin in Moldova doing a job for Ivan. You know, when this movie starts, we see Bruce Willis really, I would say, at an existential crisis. If not the actor, at least the character that he's playing. I want to say, as desperate as he looks, it's still cuter than real life. I want to just put it out there. My mom, for a very short period of time, did date an ex-CIA agent. And so I have a little personal history with these types. And way more alcoholism. Less with the punching bags, a lot more with the bottle. And when you break up with them, they do stop you and have her outside your house at all times of night and mark who comes and goes. It's kind of creepy here. This is sort of the sweet version. It's the movie Hollywood version of what it is to be an ex-CIA agent, but not so cute. What's funny is this movie has a commentary that I, as the multimedia comic fan, had to listen to. It's not by Bruce Willis. It's not by the director. They actually had an ex-CIA agent on staff as an advisor, and he gets the whole commentary track to himself. That must have been riveting. (laughs) And he gets to talk about the pension office. The interesting part is that he retired after the war when he was trying to assassinate Saddam Hussein. He failed and got off an airplane and the FBI arrested him and charged him with murder or attempted murder of Saddam Hussein. So he's like, when your own government starts to prosecute you for murder, it's time to move on. And yeah, he spends the entire two hour running length talking about, yep, That's real. Nope, that's not real. Yeah, that's how it would work. And making me very paranoid about how all the ways the FBI can track me. (laughs) That's hilarious. I guess maybe they couldn't get the real people creative involvement. It's worth noting that while many of the cast are returning for the sequel we're covering next week, the director is not the same, and maybe they couldn't get? Maybe Willis doesn't do commentary? I can understand doing a commentary with a CIA agent, but wouldn't we want to hear from the people that actually made it? Yeah. Willis did one for Live Free or Die Hard, so go figure. Yeah, maybe it comes down to money or royalties. But all I can say is that there is sort of a quiet desperation to these early scenes. And as far-fetched as it seems, I can believe that he would strike up a romance with a phone operator for the pension check office. I do like these early moments. There's something pathetic, but something also humorous about it. The way that he's stalking her. Stuart, you said your mom was stalked after that breakup. Well, they haven't even dated yet, and he's stalking her. He's finding out about the trashy romance novels that she's into and reading up on them and tearing up his checks so he'd have a reason to call her up. I'm engaged in this right away. I like Bruce Willis. He's working for me here. Mary Louise Parker. I only know her from Weeds, that I think an HBO or Showtime series where she sells a bunch of pot, but she's working for me here is kind of this sweet, innocent girl. He doesn't know she's being taken advantage by Frank here. I like this opening. Yeah, I think they're funny. I just literally laugh. He knows that she's into travel. She's like, maybe I'll go to Chile. And he's like, yeah, I went there one night. It had mountains. There's something (laughs) kind of funny here about how different they are as people and yet how much they need each other. The fact that they would go on a blind date. The fact that he's going to make this fantasy real and finally fly to Kansas City to see her. I thought this might be the movie. I didn't really expect that a SWAT team shortly thereafter would come to kill him and was confused for quite a lot of the movie. I thought that they were coming to kill him because he was having these phone conversations with this woman. Somebody should because it's creepy. And all I'm getting from these opening scenes is that desperation, but it's just the desperation to try to sell us on he's old, but he's tough. And they have the scenes of him doing the sit-ups and punching the punching bag that's duct-taped around the middle. I think they must sell punching bags that are pre-duct-taped in Hollywood, because they all have the duct-tape right around the middle. And he's coming off to me like Mickey from Rocky. He's not just coming off that way, he's working in that way. I think that this is the most charming Willis performance I've seen since the mid-90s. Willis is good here, and so she. But it just feels like trope after trope. He's old, but he's tough. We're going to bring it out and sell it to you in every cliched shorthand manner. And Mary Louise Parker... I didn't know her from very much. I have seen her in other stuff. She looks really young in this movie. Perhaps it's just because of who's standing around her, but I thought she was early 20s, not late 30s. And so I was getting a real, real creepy out of his age group vibe here. 
I think she's in her 40s at least and probably heading towards 50 at this point. Yeah, I cannot believe she's in her 40s. Whatever mojo she's doing, she needs to keep doing because I thought she was 22. What? Yeah, I didn't think she was 22, but in her 30s, I didn't get a creepy vibe off that. You know, Arnie, I see what you're saying, that there are these tropes. What's winning this for me is who this Frank character is, that he is ex-CIA, so when they talk about Chili, he's obviously talking about going in and assassinating people, and I enjoy that. Yeah, are there some of those tropes? Sure, but I like this relationship. Willis is winning me over here. Absolutely. And Arnie, I'm surprised to hear you grousing. You're the one, out of all three of us, I think, that's seen the most and enjoyed the most rom-coms. This is an action rom-com. Sort of a subsect, really. They sell us on the action, but I would say that, above all, this really is more about the humorous dissonance between him as being a professional killer and her being an everyday plain Jane who can't get a good date. Hey, I love Bruce Willis in the whole nine yards, but these opening scenes, they're not the whole nine yards. There may be six of them. But if he can't sell me on the romance, and honestly, I never thought that that Mary Louise Parker thing was going anywhere. I thought they were just selling me that this guy's desperate and lonely and needs to get back in it. You really thought she was going to drop out of the film? Oh, absolutely. Oh, come on. So when they start shooting up his house, I'm like, all right, if romantic comedy Bruce Willis isn't working for me, and he never has on that level, not even in Blind Date, then let's see if action Bruce Willis can still kick ass. He kind of can. He has the exact same house in this movie that he had in G.I. Joe Retaliation. And I think I referenced this film when we were talking about it. Same character, basically. Yeah, this is kind of what we would expect. Again, this is the kind of comedy that an action star does, usually less successfully. I mean, Kindergarten Cop, the irony of tough guy in suburbia. We've seen it a lot. I think it's working in here. I mean, is it rote? Is it trite? Sure. This is a one-joke movie. I'm going to argue it's a pretty good joke, and it's told pretty well. It's definitely told by characters and cast members I like. Yeah, there are times where I don't know what I'm watching. Is this an action film or, like you say, Stuart, is this a comedy? You know, he takes out four of these black op soldiers that come in. Once all these other soldiers outside the house find out that they're taken out, they all just start storming in, shooting guns, like shooting up this whole house. This isn't supposed to be action. This is comedy, right? Yes, it absolutely is. There's been a few of these at this point. Recently, even, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith is an example of one or that Tom Cruise one with Cameron Diaz. But for me, I always go to Romancing the Stone. That was the movie I was thinking about a lot, particularly since this is the story of a woman that wants to live a romance novel and does and finds she likes it. See, and I'm taking this as action. There's a lot of action in here, but funny action along the lines of, say, The Losers. Oh, this is scores above the losers. Yeah, that must be quite disappointing for you if you're trying to hope that it has a kernel of what the losers did. Man, that's (laughs) setting the bar low and then limboing. I mean, yeek. (laughs) And here, I'm really getting a lot of flashbacks to the losers, including the fact that our bad guy, or at least we think he's our bad guy pretty early on, is another CIA spook, this time played by Carl Urban. I didn't even really recognize him. I don't even think I really know who Carl Urban is, but I do now playing episodes with him in it, and I'm like, oh, he's Bones, or he's in Lord (laughs) of the Rings. But it's only because I go back and look at the cast roster that I realize that he's a working actor. I guess a credit to him in this movie, he just seems like a everyday suit. He does not seem like a star or even a Tommy Lee Jones, which this character clearly is modeled after the one Tommy Lee Jones played in The Fugitive. I'm right there with you, Stuart, because every time I watch a movie with them, I'm like, oh, God, they have a country singer in the starring role. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I thought when that Judge Dredd remake came out. And again, I didn't even recognize him here because in that Judge Dredd, the last Carl Urban film I've seen, you only see his chin and his mouth. It's an interesting introduction here. He's what? Talking to his family. They want to show that he's a family man while he's faking a suicide. Yeah, he's multitasking. Again, this movie is heavy in ironies. The joke is, and it will be told in 90 different ways is these people do really brutal heartless things and yet they are all heart. They are all worried about their love life and their family life and normalcy as you and I experience it. That is the joke. He's hanging a rich guy while he's taking a personal phone call. Yeah, the fact that he's hanging this guy, you're really supposed to be sold that he is this evil doer, and after last week, yeah, I think he's Max 
part two. And that's what put me in the loser's mindset is exactly that if the losers were too young, I'm about to watch the same movie again, and this time they're old. Very, very old. But they quickly clarify. He's handled a dossier, kill Frank Moses. He knows he's got to kill Willis. He doesn't know anything about him. He is, again, Tommy Lee Jones. He is someone that is doing his job. He's annoyed that the person he's pursuing is so good at getting away. We don't want to like him because he's square, but there is something kind of funny about Carl Urban here, and I never hate him the way that, well, I mean, let's not go back to the losers, but Jason Patrick or anybody who's playing a heavy tends to be hated. That sounds to me like you're not picking up the comedy vibe or not wanting to receive it, Arnie. I see what they're trying to do. Like you always say, Stuart, comedy is so subjective. Either you laugh or you don't. And I'm not laughing. I'm not finding this level of jokes amusing. Every time that they go for funny, it feels to me like old people humor. It feels to me like the jokes my grandfather would tell me at MCL at 4.30. I disagree. There's a lot of jokes that really work for me. And it really goes back to Willis and Parker, their relationship. He abducts her, kidnaps her to save her from... From getting killed by the CIA. When she's talking about it, she's like, I was hoping you'd have hair so our dreams aren't coming true at the moment, but not my worst first date. You just can't go around duct taping everyone. Like, there's some great jokes in here that really do work for me. Your eyes are so beautiful, Bruce Willis tells her as he's taping her up. I don't know, I'm going along with a lot of this whole juxtaposition between this romantic date, this family man, and these awful things they're doing. I'll say it's not the jokes, it's actually the performances. I think it's because these actors are so skilled and delivering delivering these lines. These could be groaners. These could be cat skills, nudge in the ribs, har 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 kind of ironies. I actually think that the way that it's played, these old folks are showing the losers how you do comedy. These people are far more charming when we start to see the team assembled than the losers ever were at their funniest bit. If you say so. I did like the I wish you had hair joke line, Jacob. I thought that one was truly funny because it's making fun of Bruce Willis himself, who has notoriously had a bad hairline since the 80s. But I think that these are charming actors in previous roles coming together and trying to rock like they did. I mean, it's like a Springsteen performance. Springsteen is still a successful rock artist, but he hasn't charted in years and people go to see him for nostalgia, not because he still rocks like he did in 84. I'll agree with you that if it weren't these people that we had a long history with, if this were a foreign film and none of these actors were known to us, this movie wouldn't play half as well. I'll give you that. Yeah, I think that is the joke. Here are old people that you know. I mean, we get Morgan Freeman. What's our introduction to Morgan Freeman? You know, always known for his voice and his wisdom. And what is he doing? He's tricking a nurse to bend over so he can look at her ass. There is something funny because that is Morgan Freeman doing that role. And we wouldn't expect that from him. That made me uncomfortable, though, because you know Morgan Freeman got kind of in a bit of a scandal when he had a car wreck with a very young woman who was not his wife. And so I thought this was the real Morgan Freeman kind of shining through in a role for a change. This thing kind of reminds me of The Wizard of Oz. It's like every time Bruce Willis gets further down the road to where he's going, he meets someone who has a need. And we learn with Joe what he really needs is an honorable death. Unlike some of the other characters where they're falling in love or repairing relationships, he's kind of done with that. I mean, he's 81, he's stage 4 cancer, it's all over for him. He just didn't want to go out in a nursing home. And so he joins the crew and heads down the yellow brick road so that he can get an honorable death. I know that Morgan Freeman's going to die in this movie, but I'm hoping he gets what he wants. And it comes so early. They do a trickery there where for a half a second, I'm like, it can't happen already. But they do come to the New Orleans nursing home for him after Bruce and Sarah leave. I never got the sense that he wanted an honorable death. That's going to explain things later on. Was there a line I missed? Yeah, no, he's looking in the mirror. It's a monologue. He talks about the past. He talks about he never thought that it would be this way for him. He literally opens up about basically how depressing it is that this is how he's going to go out. So I'm not surprised that he doesn't make it into Red 2 next week. I think that's the right choice. But I like the way that this team assembles. I like later when we get to Florida and we get John Malkovich. I'm right there with you, Stuart. My favorite thing about this film is getting this team together, getting all these jokes that the performers, you're right. It's not the writing, it's the performers here that are pulling these jokes off. It's who they are, how they say them. And, you know, John Malkovich showing up as a crazy, been experimented on by the military ex-soldier. I'm going with this. I enjoy another crazy John Malkovich performance here with Marvin. 
What's funny to me is I came into this and I didn't know a whole lot about it, but I had wanted to see it. But I thought it was a team movie. And so when Bruce Willis goes and sees Morgan Freeman in the nursing home and then leaves him there and then goes and sees John Malkovich and then goes and sees Brian Cox but leaves Brian Cox behind, I'm like, oh, this is a Bruce Willis vehicle. It's going to be Bruce Willis and Sarah out on the road and they're just going to go to these various people for cameo after cameo after cameo to beef up the roster, but none of them are going to last very long. And that actually made me less happy because I just... Still haven't seen a modern Bruce Willis performance, a 21st century Bruce Willis performance that can carry a film. I thought in an ensemble, he might really work well. Fortunately, that does turn about a third to halfway in the movie. The band does finally come back together again. But in these early scenes where, yeah, you say Wizard of Oz, I'm thinking Blues Brothers getting the band back together, going member to member and enlisting them. I'm disappointed, especially when we think Morgan Freeman's killed right away. Yeah, that is true. It's worth pointing out that Morgan does not get on the road with them. They go off to New York to investigate the whole thing that's going on with the killed reporter without him. He stays behind. We're given a scene where we're meant to think that he's shot and he gets his death right there. So, you're right. It does take a while to happen. But I think the surprise for me is John Malkovich, the next person they encounter on the road, is not the bad guy. When's the last time John Malkovich hasn't been the bad guy? I was stunned to find out that he was going to be playing a loon, funny supporting character, that I was meant to like him. I mean, that's a crazy notion. Particularly since Malkovich had already kind of done a movie like this, the Coen Brothers' Burn After Reading, where it was also about post-Cold War CIA craziness, and he was a completely despicable character. But he's really one of the highlights. I love John Malkovich. I like him in... Most everything I see, I even thought his performance stood out in Jonah Hex. (laughs) I think he's terrible here. I think he's, God dare I say this about Malkovich, too over the top. I think when he's doing menacing over the top and chewing the scenery is great. But here, where he's slapstick comic relief with this goofy denture grin, ooh, he's painful. I find John Malkovich painful in this movie. Arnie, I just don't get where you're coming from. I enjoy this performance, talking about doing daily doses of LSD for 11 years, walking around with his stuffed pig, you know, writing down call numbers on helicopter. I don't know. I enjoy this performance. To me, this is a Malkovich role. He may not be the bad guy here, but he's still crazy. He's still a loon. Yeah, it is as big as he usually does in Hollywood features. He's also done more subtle work, but when he goes big in Hollywood movies, I always think it's as a force of evil in the line of fire, con air. I mean, he's just the bad guy, always. So I just presumed that he was going to be the thing that Bruce Willis was going to have to kill. And so that they get to him so quickly, and that it doesn't turn sour, but that he gets the pig and goes along, then I'm surprised, pleasantly. And even when I can see jokes telegraphed far, far away, I'm not going to say this is sophisticated comedy, it's still well-delivered comedy. When he corners the real estate agent, I know she's coming back as a hit woman. It doesn't matter. I'm still laughing. And maybe it's because I don't see these jokes telegraphed the way you do. When he corners that real estate agent, I view him as pathetically paranoid. I feel sorry for him. That's the joke, though, that he is the guy who was experimented on by the military and he's gone crazy. I mean, to me, that is the joke, that he is paranoid. You know, and that's the other joke, that she really is an FBI agent, a CIA agent. The whole comedy is he's so paranoid that he's actually right. Yes, we are meant to believe all the way up to they find the last living guy on the kill list that he is completely out of his head and dangerous and they should get rid of him. And he's talking about that helicopter is following us, that real estate agent is following us, that he turns out to be right, both redeems him as a character, and it was a punchline. These are jokes. It vindicates him. It surprises the audiences that weren't ahead of it. I just knew that this guy, because it was so broad, they were going to have to make him helpful in some way. He needed to feel like his crazy conspiracies would pay out. I mean, that's his gift by taking this journey here, is that he gets to feel like a brain again. I'm liking Morgan Freeman a lot. I think he's dead. I think Bruce Willis is doing better than I've seen him in a while, but not enough to carry it. But yeah, Malkovich, I can't agree with you two on. I just don't see that as part of the team. And I wish he would go away the way Freeman did, and he doesn't. 
you know, we get a pretty big action scene once Marvin joins up. The CIA attacks. Again, this is comedy, right? This is action that's completely stupid. She pulls out the bazooka. Malkovich does the showdown with her, shoots his bullet, hits the pin, sets off this missile so it blows her up instead. This is stupid stuff, but it's comedy. It's actually kind of creative. I'm enjoying this. Like, it's so absurd. This is the kind of stuff that would have, if it was in The Losers, maybe I could have gone with it when Aisha pulled out that big old bazooka. Here, I'm going with it, though. Yeah, I am having loser flashbacks. They're structuring this in very much the same way the way I complained about. Every scene, they're in a different city. I don't usually like that. I think there's a very bad way of getting people invested in what's going on. I like location. I don't like the idea that it doesn't matter where you are. But all of this, the postcards, the way that the over-the-top action plays, it all works for me because of the chemistry. It's everything. It's these people doing it in this way. What's, again, surprising for me, Arnie, is that, yeah, your fans of these people, is it that they're old? Is the hang-up for you is that they've gotten too old and that you do wish they would go to the retirement home? Do you not want to see them playing in action now? No, I like the Expendables. I'm not ageist in this way. What offends me is the pandering nature of the oldness. Does that make sense? Where it's not that they're old, it's that they're all about old power. I mean, what the Spice Girls were to girl power, these guys are to old power. It's all about empowering the over-the-hill crowd in a way that comes off to me as patronizing and offensive. Arnie, I don't get that. Maybe you can tell me some examples, because one of the flaws, I think, of this film, as it goes along, it kind of loses that. It starts off being about, hey, these old people, they gotta get the band together, and gotta go up against the young guys. To me, it loses that vibe as it goes on. I, I don't get the sense that they're old anymore. This just becomes another action film to me. I don't get the pandering. That's absolutely right. I would not like this movie if it was grumpy old CIA agents. And I think it is. No, it is not. If it were, it would be like, I'm going to shoot you, but his eyesight's bad. Or, you know, he's going to try to hit somebody and his hip replacement breaks. I mean, they don't do old jokes. They don't do old jokes. No, they don't do jokes about old people that would appeal to young people. Jokes about how bad the eyesight is. Jokes about the hip replacements. (laughs) They make jokes about old people that make old people feel less old. They have Ernest Borgnine. They wheel him out. Oh, that's always a bad sign. And he literally says to the young CIA agent, they don't make them like Frank anymore. You know, saying, you youngins will never be as good as we are. No matter how experienced you get, we're just made better. And this whole movie, the contrast between Frank and Carl Urban is all about how the old old guy is right and the young guy is wrong. It's trying to tell the baby boomers, hey, Gen X may know how to use the internet, but they ain't got nothing on you. I agree. It's asserting them as heroes. I don't take that as offensive as you do. And I would also say, as a young person, I don't want to see jokes about old people's dentures falling out in their jello. I think that's bad for everyone. I would much rather have old people who credibly can do this action. And I want to use the word credible. I do think that they do still have it. It'd be one thing if it were all cut around and sped up foot and wire foo, but they don't. They can still do this. There's one moment. Morgan Freeman has to punch somebody in the face, and that was the one moment where I'm like, well, that didn't work. But for the most part, I do feel like these people at this age are credible in the adventure that they're given. Handle it well. I will say this. I think that this director did a great job of staging the action. There's a scene, it's from the trailer, I remembered it when I saw this movie, when Carl Urban is chasing Bruce Willis, and Bruce Willis's car is spinning, and he gets out of the spinning car, walks away from it, it misses his shin by an inch, and he's shooting the gun. That's a badass moment. Yes, these guys are credible, like the Expendables. You don't think that they're out of shape. We see Frank working out as the very first scene of this movie. Yeah, I believe all of these people can throw a punch and pull a trigger and aim it well. I'm not saying I have a problem with the verisimilitude of this. I just have a problem with the tone of the comedy, and I don't feel I'm this movie's target audience. I think last week with the losers, I felt I was too old for the target audience. This week, call me the Goldilocks and now playing, I think I'm too young. <laughs> Alright, Goldilocks, let's move on. Maybe you'll like the other love couple that's in the story. 
I do think it's a funny joke that they decide they need to break into the CIA to find out what's going on, and the only people that can do it are the Russians. I mean, anyone that grows up in the Cold War is going to appreciate the humor and the situations that are being presented here. I don't think it would play to young audiences, not because they're watching old people, but because they didn't grow up in an era where these conflicts were relevant. But I think it's funny that they go to the Russian and they have this exchange about, hey, we turned your cousin and he's running 7-Elevens now in California. I think funny, like screaming, laughing, holding my sides, hilarious? No. Smirking, tee-hee here and there, engaged with this movie? Yes. I think that this is an amusing little joke. Yeah, you're right. Engaged. I'm not slapping my knee, but I'm paying attention to it. Unlike the losers where I'm like twiddling my thumbs, God, can this please end? Here, I'm still into it. I'll say this, Brian Cox, perhaps one of the semi-lesser names in this movie, he's no Bruce Willis, he's no Morgan Freeman. I love what he does with his character here. He never fails to entertain me. He does put a smile on my face from this opening scene where they have this conversation about his brother and how he is like, I can't do it. Oh, you owe me a favor? And his over-the-top Russian accent to the very end where he's just strolling, like he's going to the opera while guns are firing around him. I like like Brian Cox in this. Well, good. I'm glad. I do, too. And I really like Helen Mirren, the last component of the team, the one that got away. We'll find out that they have a history together, that she was asked by MI6 to kill her lover, and she did. She put a bullet into his heart six times, and now they're going to have to play on the same team. I think that's a good conflict, and I really like Helen Mirren. It's funny to watch somebody who won every acting prize. Man, when the Queen came out, she won the Oscar. She won every single thing. What does she do with it? Does she make more English period dramas? Does she go down the Masterpiece Theater route? No, she makes National Treasure 2 and this. I think that's hilarious that she went Hollywood after winning the Oscar. And I think that is the joke of having Helen Mirren in this. This, you know, respected actress is now in this shoot 'em up action film. I think there is a lot of meta humor in this film, having to know who the cast is, knowing the kind of roles they typically play, and understand what they're doing here. Yeah, it is, again, and always will be, that it's these actors doing it and not what's being done. The plot, schmott. In other hands, it would be the losers. I mean, that's just the bottom line. We saw this movie last week. Now they're doing it right. If this is a generational battle, the old people are winning, Arnie. I'll say they're doing it better. I'm not going to say right. I think there's a happy middle ground. But yeah, they're doing it better. And it is because, yes, last week I said I didn't know who most of the cast was. I didn't think they were doing very good. Yes, they have likable people tuning in, mostly likable performances. I just feel bad about some of the lines they're handed to deliver. I think they hit all their lines. I think they enjoy these lines. They're chewing up scenery when they need to. If you don't like Willis and Parker's relationship, I actually really do like Victoria and Ivan's relationship in this film. It's kind of sweet in an old kind of way, these ex-lovers. I'm going with these performances, at least, if not this plot. Yeah, I don't care about the plot, and never will, but it is the charm, it's the energy, it's the vibe. Everyone is here now, and it's peaking. All of the emotions are going to peak. All the things that people want are going to start to happen. That now that Ivan and Victoria are going to have to make that choice about being together, and Morgan Freeman is going to have to have his honorable death. And it just feels like once we're heading into the third act, there really has been a progression. Something that never felt like the case in The Losers. And The Losers is about schmucks wandering around laughing while they blew stuff up until someone turned off the lights and said, hey, the movie's over. Here, I actually feel like Bruce Willis and Sarah are falling in love. I do feel like all of these storylines are coming to fruition once they finally figure out that who they need to be going after is Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. here's one who I never quite know what I'm going to think when he shows up anymore. Sometimes he's really great. Sometimes he's really terrible. I would put this in the great side. I really like him here in a way that I haven't liked him since Mr. Holland's Opus. I think that he is the right amount of smarmy and very well cast in that age group of retirees to be the baddie. It's weird. This is the character that falls for me. He's playing this evil corporate CEO that really controls the government. I could tell he's trying to chew up the scenery. I'm the bad guy. I told you, I'm the bad guy. You know, he keeps saying that over and over, but it never really works for me. He never chews it up with the right amount. If we're going with the old metaphor, these dentures just can't chew the scenery like it should be. 
I feel like Dreyfus is perfectly cast if you want someone arrogant and annoying and worthy of being shot. I want to see him put down here. He makes perfect sense as the villain because I didn't see Mr. Holland's opus. Most of the things I associate with, aside from his brief stint as a leading man in the 70s, is being just kind of a tool. Richard Dreyfus is very irritating here. But you don't think he's the bad guy. The way that they sell this is the bad guy is the vice president. And I completely believe it because it's Julian McMahon. We know Julian McMahon. He's Dr. Doom. And not my go-to reference. I don't have a go-to reference for Julian McMahon, but okay. Well, my go-to reference is Nip Tuck, the TV series, where he was phenomenally slimy and evil. It was a performance I hoped he would carry to Fantastic Four and didn't. And so here, when he's supposed to be the big bad guy, I'm like, okay, now I'm finally going to get him being the villain I always wanted. Oh, no, he's too young. He can't be in charge of anything. (laughs) I sense that you've definitely picked this theme up and run with it, Arnie, but I don't know that the movie's about exactly what you're saying it is. I guess you're seeing it in everything. You're not unlike John Malkovich here. I don't know. It's not like I'm making it up, though, like Malkovich. I'm not taking the insurance agent and throwing her against the wall. It is here in this movie. Julian McMahon is our age, and so he has to be a puppet of someone much, much older. I think you're exaggerating here. Yeah, I think what you're resenting is the fact that this movie wasn't made for your audience demographic, and that's rare. Movies have always targeted us, and if they targeted our parents, we didn't usually see them unless they forced us to, and we hated them for it. But here, yes, in adulthood, it's very rare that I watch a movie in which everyone in the cast is decades older than I am, and I'm supposed to root for them, and that people in my age are younger. It's crazy to me. This movie is PG-13. Why not just make it R? I mean, no one teenage is going to go see this movie. Why don't we just go for it? Might as well make it NC-17. Get those horny elderly couples to go see it. Listen, I've seen grumpy old men. I like grumpy old men. I can take movies about old people. It's, again, the fact that this is all old people are better than young people. And not even young like teenagers, but young like the generation that's pushing them out of power as presidents get younger and boomers get older. Isn't about that, or are you more grateful at the idea of seeing old people as feeble and helpless and needing younger people to prop them up? I mean, I don't know, Arnie. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Again, I like The Expendables, and I think Bruce Willis still could kick ass in the right vehicle. It's the fact that this whole movie is about Bruce Willis showing Carl Urban, you're not as good as I am, kid, and Julian McMahon having to be an unruly teenager that is rescued by these old folks when he goes rebellious. Admittedly, it's not a drinking binge, it's a massacre in Guatemala, but he's still having to look up for that parent figure. It's about a general generation whose power is waning, but they still need to feel in control over their children who now are in power, but apparently still need to turn to their parents for help. It's the ultimate helicopter parent who can't go away, and it's these themes that I find offensive in this film. It's not that I don't want to see old people kick ass. I liked Bruce Willis's performance a lot in G.I. Joe. <laughs> it's just here... I don't want to see him doing more of that. I can tell you that. What he's doing here is miles better than anything he would be doing in that movie. Arnie, I don't know what you're seeing. This is a different movie than I think Stuart and I watched. I really see this as, to borrow another term, a post-age film. Like, yes, there are a few jokes about them being old, but it's really more about retired people getting the team back together. I don't see this young versus old theme going throughout this film. Yeah, there's a few lines, man, as joke. Watch it again. I've seen this film multiple times. I saw this opening weekend. I've seen this film three or four times. I don't think there's that strong theme of old is better than young. It's, hey, wouldn't it be funny if these retired people had to pick up guns again and fire them? I don't think there's commentary there. There are jokes made at Carl Urban's expense, his cute haircut, the fact that he is obviously the one we aren't supposed to like and is the only quote-unquote younger member of this cast and he's the bad guy for so much of it. I guess you could see it a little bit as a generational battle, but ultimately that is definitely not what this movie is trying to sell here. It's a movie designed for older people. It's a rare thing in Hollywood. They usually don't make this. The reason why Warner Brothers didn't want to have anything to do with it was not because the script was shit, was not because the jokes didn't make them 
laugh. It's because they looked at the demo and said, these people don't go to movies. We want the teenagers getting out of spring break. It's weird to me that this new movie is coming out now when everything is targeting youth. I guess it's seen as counter-programming, but I just don't see that because it's for older people and speaking to their issues about retirement and feeling obsolete that it's at my expense. I mean, this cast, yes, they're old people, but, I mean, they're all stars. Morgan Freeman, Bruce Willis, John Malkovich, Richard Drives. I feel like these are standard names. Yeah, maybe not a 15-year-old that wants to go see some hot girls and explosions in a film. It's not going to get them in, but I don't feel like this is speaking down to me. This isn't my generation, but these are all well-known actors that I know. I just don't see where you're coming from on this one. And these are actors that I like in other movies, and again, I think it's in the script, but if you guys don't think it's here, what are we left with? We're left with the loser. We're left with an exact same conspiracy theory like we had last week, only this time, instead of the CIA spook being the bad guy, the CIA spook is being manipulated by Richard Dreyfus. It's this big investigation into nameless assassins who are coming after Bruce Willis. Are you guys down with the whodunit? Because if there's any part of this movie that leaves me cold, it's the plot itself. It's that these people aren't on a very interesting mission. Arnie here where I think I come to start to agree with you. It's when we find out what's really going on. Every film, it's the mystery that hooks you, and it's that revelation of the mystery that could lose you, and I feel this is where it does start to lose me, where I feel, oh, okay, this is big business. Dreyfus's character Dunning, he's really controlling the government and putting pawns in place. I just don't find this plot very interesting, this revelation very interesting. I don't think it's a movie that needs a great plot, and I think oftentimes when we see movies about the spy game, it is about the emptiness, that the people at the lowest level have no idea about the bureaucracy that drives them. They do things because they're expected. They are pawns. That is a big theme, I think, with serious and comedic movies. It doesn't bother me. It's not fulfilling. It's not like I went, oh, it's Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus makes sense because if you're going to keep it about the old people, you want to give him an old villain. Contrary to what you're implying, I think they did not want to make it about, let's beat up on the young people. They wanted to give them a peer instead of Julian McMahon as the big villain. And, you know, they always like to throw in an extra twist there. Up to that point, it had kind of been playing off like the Bush family dynasty, right? There was some lip service paid to the fact that this thing in Guatemala was done to extract this guy's son. That he had done something on spring break that was so crazy that it required the CIA to charge in there and annihilate a village. And now they gotta cover that up. Yeah, he killed a village. That's what he did. He single-handedly massacred. No, I don't think so. I thought this team did it. That's what it says. Yeah, they say he went on a killing spree. Oh, I thought the cover-up was covering up what the son had done. Yes, which was Massacre a Village. That's a little harsh, but anyway, they're playing with little details about history. I mean, you can't treat it too seriously. I really think this is one of those movies where I don't want to ask why a whole lot. It's giving me just enough to make me feel comfortable. I'm not going to be thinking about what it means for our government and for my life after this credit roll. It is purely popcorn entertainment, and I think compared to The Losers, it's much more in my speed. If that makes me old, so be it. Everything's a recommend compared to The Losers. I think that's a poor standard to measure something against. I get what you're saying, Stuart, and I said it with the losers. There are times in a film, if it's able to entertain one side of my brain, I'll ask less questions. I just feel this movie gets less interesting once this group gets together. I mean, we go to Dreyfus's secret lair in his house, and there's a SWAT team surrounding the place, so they have to send someone out, and they know that person's gonna get shot. And they disguise this person they send out. Why do they disguise Joe, Morgan Freeman's character? Now, you're saying he wanted an honorable death. Why not disguise Dunning and him out and just let the bad guy get shot. At this point, now I'm starting to ask questions and I'm not getting satisfying answers. And I agree with Stuart that Morgan Freeman, by giving him stage four liver cancer, was being set up for an honorable death. I think it's kind of crappy that they give us two. This is an honorable death? Walking out with a trench coat and getting shot by a random sniper that wasn't even given any kill order? It's honorable because it's in the field. He did not want to die in a nursing home. He is here on a mission. He was impersonating some head of some third world country. He is 
having fun again. And I think we could all want that. You know, at the end of the day, I'd rather be doing something I love and just being taken out quickly than rotting away and thinking about my past and being alone. I mean, he's together with his friends, doing what he loves. That's what makes it honorable. I don't know that this is like Purple Heart stuff that he's doing here, but it's fun. It is who he saw himself as, and that's how he goes out. I don't know. I just find it weird. We saw him earlier. He put up a fight when they came to assassinate him. There's an honorable death. Uh, your enemies are finally getting you. But he fought that. It just seems weird that he doesn't get taken out in the final shootout or something. That they use him as a pawn here. Yeah, it's not a heroic death. That is for sure. Because he doesn't die by throwing himself on a grenade. He dies as a diversion. Right. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of the same thing. But I would not want to see him coming out packing heat. We don't want to see these agents shot. They're doing their job. They're assigned to protect Richard Dreyfus. That's not something that these other people need to kill them for. I think it's the right way to play it. And... You talk about them packing heat. Here's something else that kind of bothers me is Bruce Willis in the very opening scene kills a whole bunch of these guys in black masks. They're obviously evil. They're shooting his house. They're wearing black masks. I could not count the number of rounds fired in this movie. I'm going to guess over a million. I mean, there's just constant rat-a-tat-tat machine gun fire going on from both sides. That's the joke, though, Arn. I don't know. To me, that's the joke. Okay, is it also the joke that they never hit anyone? That this uber-good special ops team doesn't ever shoot anyone because they're going up against the Secret Service and Stuart last week was turned off when Chris Evans pantomimed and a couple of security guards were really killed and I think that that exact same kind of sensibility would turn it off if Bruce Willis was killing Secret Service agents who thought they were defending an honorable VP, but it makes it it's silly that they're using real bullets and always missing. Yeah, forgive me for not wanting to root for average people being annihilated for the amusement of assholes. I think that it's the difference between an asshole and a hero that they don't kill innocent people. I would be against Morgan Freeman if he chose to go out guns blazing here. And I think that they're good enough marksmen that they can miss. And I think that's the point of Helen Mirren is she could hit it if she wanted to. She chooses to just create the cover they need to escape out back. It is a way of keeping it PG-13. We do not want to see in a comedy mass annihilation. I don't want to see bodies drop because that's realistic. I mean, you're missing a joke if you're turning it into a bloodbath. It sounds to me like you wished Red was more of an action movie than a comedy. Yes, because the jokes aren't working, so I'm trying to find solace in the action. I wish it was a comedy that could hold the joke longer. I just feel it doesn't sustain the joke through the running time. Again, once we get into the plot here, once we get into the action, once it becomes that action movie, it loses me. I don't know. There's still funny stuff still here in the end. I do really like the fact that Ivan and Victoria are going to dance at the presidential ball. And he's like, it's a dream come true. I get to shoot the president and dance with you. I mean, I'm laughing during this stuff. John Malkovich strapping on a fake bomb on his chest and using deterrence to scare the people away. I feel like everyone gets a moment here and it's silly and fun and in keeping with anything that's happened before. I don't miss, oddly enough, Morgan Freeman. I didn't need to see him here in the finale. I feel like with the people we're left, they're still able to hold their own. I think they work as well with the team as they did individually with Willis and Sarah. I agree. We didn't need Morgan Freeman. We said with the losers, five was too many. Here, yeah, they kind of wander in and out of the action as needed for the joke. And I lose track. Where's Sarah during some of this? She's locked up in a cell. I do feel like they didn't need to go after the kid to protect her. That was a weird moment. You go after the kid if you want her released. The fact that they use the kid of Carl Urban to just make sure that she's not tortured. Mm, they liked having her at risk. I mean, they liked the idea of keeping her all the way to the end so they could do an exchange for the vice president. But if you do that, then I say don't go after Carl Urban's kid. The comic is much, much darker. It is not a comedy at all. It, it's not an ensemble cast like this. It is just about Frank and Sarah. And this is a very dark scene in the comic when he calls up Cooper and says, 
hey, I'm at your home. I'm going to kill your family. It seems really out of place in this film where it has been more lighthearted and a lot of jokes, bullets that don't hit anyone. But that's funny. But now all of a sudden, we're going to believe Frank is this cold-blooded killer that he was in a past life. I don't know if it earns that moment. We never really saw those tendencies throughout the rest of this film. There's really never a buildup for this very dark moment where he's going to threaten to kill a wife and children. They took it too far. And I agree. If the movie were more if the comedy was more of a Tarantino variety, then yeah, you could do this moment and it could be goosing. But as it is, they don't get anything out of it by doing it. It's just an odd moment. And it makes sense that it was in the comic. That's why it's here. It's not here because the story needs it. But no, is it satisfying that Dreyfus was behind it? I don't even think I totally understand why. But they kill him quickly enough and I did want to see him die. I wouldn't have been satisfied with him living on in his protected custody. Yeah, I thought it was silly that they just punched him out. So it is a good ending for him because I did think he was just going to be in there for that one scene. I keep thinking these people are just in and out like Ernest Borgnine and then they come back and surprise me. And Malkovich has got to make sure, you know, he's mad he's there late. You know, they get there after all the main action has happened. And Carl Urban has earned his stripes here as one of the good guys. He allows Willis to do the deed, but Malkovich finishes it off by putting a bullet in the corpse. Yes, let's make sure we know. Carl Urban allows Bruce Willis to do everything because Bruce Willis can. Bruce Willis, he's the biggest star. Yes, he is absolutely the biggest star. But I would have preferred them to team up as peers at the end instead of Bruce Willis taking the whole spotlight. Well, they do team up. I mean, Cooper hands Frank the keys so he could get out of his cuffs. He sneaks them over to him. And Cooper does take out a couple of the guards. Yes, a couple of the guards. But that's a team-up. If he shot everyone, that's not a team-up. Frank does some stuff, Cooper does some stuff. I guess Frank gets to kill the cooler bad guys. It's his vehicle. I mean, it is a movie for this audience. It wouldn't feel right if the young guy came in. I mean, how weird would it be if Carl Urban found out what was going on and then shot all the bad guys? The whole red team is standing around, you know, clapping approval. (laughs) I'm not advocating that either. I think there's a happy middle ground. I just feel like I like the adventure we've gotten and it's been pleasant. I'm ready to go out for pancakes now. I'm good on this. Well, it is only 3.30, so maybe it is dinner time for you. (laughs) Stuart, Jacob, do you recommend Red? Jacob. This one's a tough one for me. I enjoy this cast. I enjoy their performance. I don't enjoy this plot, though. I like watching half of this film. I've watched this film multiple times. It's one that I personally enjoy. But can I recommend it? There's something... I I don't know. There's something so on the fence with this one where you have great characters and I enjoy watching this band get back together. But when they got to strum those chords, play that beat, uh, it's not quite as satisfying. Let me have those good memories of whatever old band you want to talk about back in their prime. Does the joke of them being old and retired have to keep being played and played and played? No, but I just wish there was a better plot here. This plot loses me and I lose interest as this film goes along. Yeah, there's still a couple good one-liners, but it's a weak, weak, weak not recommend. But and This is a film I enjoy, but not one I could recommend just because I feel the film loses its way about halfway through. Stewart. Wow, you guys are the old people here. Cranky, I'll tell you. It was easy recommend for me. It's easy to go along with this movie. I find it pleasantly diverting. It delivers everything that it promises and nothing more or less. I mean, I think if you have expectations of it being an incredible action movie or spy movie or political satire, you have misplaced expectations. If you want to see an old movie in which old stars prove that they can still carry a film with thrills and explosions, this one does it. I mean, I think that this is Willis's at his most charming, really, since, yeah, those early Die Hard years. He's even better here than he was in Die Hard 1. I feel like people are enjoyable, and if you like these actors, you're going to have a good time. I think that the difference between this and the losers is that I had complete contempt for everything that those people were doing. Everything that happens in Red comes from the heart. People really wanting desires, caring about other people, and seeing it through. It's all the difference in the world. But I will say this much, to your point and to your complaints. I'm done. I can't say that I'm hungry for a sequel. I can't believe that there's a sequel and that we're going to review it next week. But I'm reviewing Red this week, and it's a recommend. 
And I feel like I may have come off like grumpy old podcaster this time, but sometimes when we have a viewpoint that's moderate, but we're standing alone, we have to come across a little bit more extreme on the podcast. I felt like it was an underrepresented viewpoint, so it ended up being the only one I made. So let me say some kind things about Red before I not recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) How generous of you. I do think that this movie is filled with a charming cast, and I think they're all well cast. Some of them, I wondered when I was looking at it, do they deserve to be here? Such as Brian Cox. I don't think that he shines as bright as Bruce Willis and John Malkovich and Morgan Freeman. Helen Mirren, head scratcher, but love her in this. I love her performance in this. I thought I wouldn't, but she really pulls off cheesy action very well. Dreyfus, always a bit of a mixed bag post Close Encounters. Great in this. James Remar, we didn't even talk about him, but I know him as Gans from 48 Hours. He shows up so often. He's here for like five minutes and dead, but I like him in that five minutes. I think there is a good cast here that is very well done, and in the end, they pull off a good ensemble. I think it takes too long to get there, but I do like the ensemble. I also like the younger people, younger meaning 40s, Mary Louise Parker and Carl Urban. I think that they are actually really holding their own in a movie where they're not supposed to hold their own. They're supposed to be children looking up to the older, wiser, seasoned, shall we say, veterans. But no, I think that most of the action in this is fairly rote with some standout moments, but I can't say the standout moments in this movie are any better than the standout moments in The Losers. I can't say Bruce Willis stepping out of the car is monstrously better than the wonderful reflections in the shattered mirror when they're going after Zoe in The Losers. They both have their visually stunning moments, and the jokes don't work. They feel like they're talking down to me and talking up an audience that is on social security and still thinking the Rolling Stones are the hip young band of the time, and the plot isn't enough to keep me engaged. So, no, it's a pretty solid not recommend, and I gotta say, next week, I think they can fix this. I think that you've got a good enough cast that this is salvageable with a tweaked script and a little bit less pandering to the septarians. I wouldn't count on that, Arnie. I wouldn't expect them to do a damn thing different than what they've done here. But who knows? Maybe Catherine Zeta-Jones and Anthony Hopkins can fill in the gap left by Morgan Freeman. We'll find out next week. So, Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me. Want to get pancakes? Pinball, this is Chopper 3. Prepare for extraction. My favorite part was when we were completely on fire. But the shootout, that was good times. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. Now I get to walk away. Y'all would have walked rogue. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another DC Hitman movie. A more perfect stage could not be asked for. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can hear reviews of hundreds of comic book movies, such as all the Batman and Superman films, the Marvel Avengers films, Spider-Man, Catwoman, Howard the Duck, Man-Thing, Kick-Ass, X-Men, and many more. You can also hear reviews of non-comic-based films, including Star Trek, Predator, James Bond, Rambo, Rocky, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's like giving a handgun to a six-year-old, Wade. You don't know how it's going to end, but you're pretty sure it's going to make the papers. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I need you. They're coming. I can feel it. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. How much do you want? $200. Okay. Good deal. Could I have had more? You'll never know. You can also help Now Playing by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Even though I do not know you, I love you. With all my heart, I love you.
Now Playing's DC Hitmen Retrospective Series is edited by Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie. This is a nice town. We have nice people here. We take care of our nice people. You understand me? Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. We heard his voice. The man with the voice, the man with the throat. The guy's got a throat. Come on. Now Playing is not affiliated with the producers of these motion pictures. All movies discussed on Now Playing are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. So it's like that, huh? Yeah. It's like that. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. As the authenticity of this document cannot be verified, it could be an elaborate forgery created by the terrorist as easily as it could be the deranged fantasy of a former party member who resigned for psychological reasons. Any discussion of this document or its contents will be regarded at the very least as an act of sedition, if not a willful act of treason. Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Frank, how many times have I told you, you cannot trust the system? I told you, when you're in the system, they switch the flip, and you're done. He's coming off to me like Mickey from Rocky. I'm gonna have spitfire and shit eggs or whatever the line is. Something about thunder. <laughs> Eat lightning, shit thunder? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and I am, I'm taping this time. I'll, I'll run the reel to reel. I have a stenographer ready to write down my every word. Well, I have a wax cylinder. Bloody fucking da. And directed by Robert... Schwenky. Schwenk. Schwenk. Yeah. He walks downstairs alone and in Paris. <laughs> and over the dude. What, what was that? The, the, the Slinky song? Everyone loves Robert Schwenky. <laughs> uh, and directed by Robert Schwenka. Schwenky. <laughs> Fuck me. I think it's Schwentky. And directed by Robert Schwensky. No, Ski T. Schwentky. And directed by Robert Schwenky. Schwentky. Bruce Willis, how many films have I loved him in? None recently, but a lot. John Batman? <laughs> Bruce Willis was in Batman? Wait, Morgan Freeman. You were talking about Morgan Freeman, Driving Miss Daisy. No, he said Bruce Willis. <laughs> I switched to Bruce Willis. <laughs> oh, okay, I got confused. <laughs> Clint Eastwood really was the pioneer of this. The man's over 80 and he's still kicking ass. Maybe I shouldn't say that. He could be dead by the time this comes out. <laughs> <laughs> he probably won't be. He'll still be talking to empty chairs.